And good morning to you. Ooh. Morning to you. What's up, Alex? Good to see you, man. I didn't get to say good morning to him yet. My apologies. My apologies. Good to see you guys. Got my guys up here. I told them I'm going to need a lot of energy. Like, you know, this is where, these are my people. So, I mean, you guys are my people. But, you know, these are my people. How are you guys today? Yeah? Anyone else thinking about the barbecue later? Is it just me? I'm, I'm just saying I'm having a barbecue. It's not like we're, that's not like an event. No, I'm just like, I'm excited to be outside. I don't have that much chicken. Hold on. <laughs> we're going to need a real loaves and fishes uh, situation if that's going to happen. Sounds like a great time. Sounds like a great time. We, uh, we had the, the privilege of getting to go to Arkansas this week for the Heartland staff retreat uh, for, for a time of, of, of learning. Ben Barnett from Hope Worldwide, he is the CEO, the chief uh, evangelist officer. Um, he was there, and we might recognize him when we had our Heartland Zoom call back in 2020. Um, he did a lesson for us there. Anyways, he was there. He gives his love to the Heartland churches, so he sends his love to you guys here. Um, amazing things going on with Hope Worldwide. Um, and a lot of great learning that we got, we got to experience. Um, great guys. So I wanted to pass that on to you guys. That message is for you. And so um, we're going to get to it. This is the last lesson in the Identity Series. And with all of our lessons for all time, it doesn't end today. <laughs> These are building blocks that we will continue to build on together as, as God's people here. And so today's message is about believed identity. Right. Believed, we started with deceived, about a deceived identity. Remember that? All the way back at the beginning of April? I know, right? Fighting who the world, fighting who the accuser tells us we are. At Easter, we talked about received identity, understanding who God tells us we are. Today, we're taking that and it's believed identity, moving towards the person that God intended you to be. Yep. Moving towards the person God intended you to be. Amen. You know, our identity is like a journey. Identity, like most truth, it's something to be discovered. You can tell someone who they are until they're blue in the face. Right. Right? Some of us have been there. We've been on the receiving end and the giving end of that. Like, I feel like I'm in a situation with my daughter. She's in this mode. And I don't know when they outgrow it. Hopefully, it's in the next year or so. But she goes, so-and-so gets to do this. How come I don't get to? They, they outgrow that by, like, six, right? <laughs> and so my line with her right now is, what's their last name? I don't know. What's your last name? Right. Cornette. Okay. That's not what Cornettes do. You know what I mean? So that's, it's, it's, I, but I can tell her that until I'm blue in the face, but until she gets it, until she experiences why that matters, until she stop, stops pretending to be somebody's kid or adopts someone else's family culture and realize, oh, wait, I'm a Cornette. This is how I do things, right? Do you see where I'm going with that? It's the same for us, same for us spiritually. We, we, it has to be experienced. 
That has to be experienced. And that's the struggle for God's people of all time. God tells them over and over again who they are. And they're like, and they just struggle with that. They wrestle with that. And so do we. Okay? This is not an intellectual topic. Identity. Who we are. Who we're made to be. This is not something that's head level. This is a holistic truth. This is everything. And I think we talked about that at the beginning, but we're bringing it back. Who you are, how you perceive yourself, how you perceive God, how you perceive other people is everything. Because your actions, your life flows from that perception. Okay, that makes sense? I've said that like five times. I'm sorry. Let's get into scripture. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians with me, that's where we will be this morning. Chapters 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There's an author, Tim Keller. He talks about this idea of the glory self. He says that your glory self is a person that God had in mind when he created you. What's your glory self? Who did God have in mind when he created you? There is a person that God had in mind. Dallas Willard says, the reward God gets in his relationship with you is the person you become. That's what's in it for God. He gets to watch us, watch us become the people he made us to be. So parent, if you're a parent or if you have a younger sibling, you can probably resonate with that, the joy when your child becomes that person you've been pressing upon them. Um, I've already used an example of Rin, but I'm going to do it one more time. It's just, it just it, it speaks to me, and hopefully it speaks to you. Those things we do with our kids or our younger siblings or whoever it is, train them. When you wake up, you go to the bathroom, brush your teeth. You got that morning breath, brush your teeth, get dressed. Those sorts of things, right? Those rhythms of life, those patterns, and, and, and we try to instill those things. Remembering to be kind to treat us with respect. Don't say the word stupid. Like, don't say that word around my daughter. She will call you out. But we trained her that from when she was young. It's cool in those moments when it happens, when she just does those things and she just embodies those things. When we're having a moment and she can say, um, Mom, Dad, it doesn't sound like you're being very kind right now. And she's so heartfelt and genuine. She's not policing us. Sometimes it happens. But... Do you see what I mean? And to get to watch that as a father, I'm like, yeah, yes, you get it. Is that how God feels with us? Who we can be. 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. I'm going to skip at verse 1. We're going to do a little bit of reading today, okay? We'll skip around a little bit. We're doing 3 and 4, but we'll skip around in 4 a little bit. But chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Or do we need, I'm sorry, do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You, you, you yourselves, our, our letter, <laughs> written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. It's a cool little image of Christian community, huh? You know that you are a letter from Christ. 
the results of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if you, if in, now if in the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so the Israelites could not even look steadily at the face of Moses when his face was shining, you remember that story? Transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Remember when Jesus said, they're going to do even greater things than me. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, true righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? little context here. You're probably picking it up. Paul's doing an incredible kind of comparison. A little Venn diagram action, yeah? For my school people. The old covenant compared with the new covenant. The nature of them. The law, the written law with ink or in stone. is The law of the spirit which is written on our hearts. Does that sound like Ezekiel to you? A little, bit of a, a little bit of Zeke in there. All right, maybe we should go to Ezekiel. Glory, a glory that is transitory versus a glory that is lasting. So this morning I want to talk about two ways of thinking. We're talking about identity, our be- believing in our identity. An identity that comes through legalistic work versus an identity that comes through a connection with Christ. There's a glory that comes through works, but it fades. It's not lasting. Tom Brady. Football reference, okay. Hang in there. Tom Brady won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. It was glorious, uh, if you're a fan of Tom Brady. Uh, But the next year, they lost to uh, the Rams, to Matt Stafford. What an incredible story that was. And all of a sudden, what happened to the body of Tom Glory? No more glory. What did he do? Retired. He became an afterthought real quick. Really, the only conversation is he's going to quit now because he didn't win. And he did. In fact, the Bible says that ministry likes this. It brings death. When you are works-oriented, it will bring a fatigue, And it will eventually drain you emotionally and spiritually because it never ends. You can win the Super Bowl, but you know what the conversation is the very next day? What about next season? What about next time? There's always a next time. There's always more and more and more 
and more. If you want to attach yourself to legalistic religion, go for it because you're going to experience that. You're going to get burned out. Some of us are in that place right now. And then you can understand the words of Jesus when he's speaking to God's people who have tethered themselves to a legalistic view of God and the church and God's people. And he says, take my burden, take my yoke. It's easy and light. We have a choice to make. We have to think about this. If it's about connection with Christ, what does that mean? When we say we have a relationship with Jesus, what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean to have a relationship with a 2,000-year-old Jewish rabbi? What? It's kind of weird to go down that road and explain it. You're like, well, I, I can just feel him. What does that mean? What does that really mean? Do you say you have a relationship with Jesus because that's what you're supposed to say? Because you're supposed to feel that? What does that actually mean in your life? Does it mean that the words of Jesus that have been written down for us are just so, they're just in your bones. You've embodied him and you have a relationship with him because his words and his teachings and his lifestyle and his spirit is always in your heart, in your mind. It just oozes out of you. Is that the kind of relationship with Jesus you have? Does, it, does that connect? Okay. I wish like the air conditioning would kick on or something because it's kind of quiet in here. I need a little background noise. There we go. Checklist Christianity. It can bring glory. We know that. We have experience with that. You go down that road. There is some transitory glory that happens there, yes? For a short time, but it eventually will bring death, and we've also experienced that. Because it shows you what you're not when you go on a checklist. Pray enough. Didn't share enough. You weren't pure today. You were honest. You missed your quiet time. Da-da. Da-da. Give enough. Da-da-da-da-da. You see where this goes. And that's kind of the idea of the law. If you stick to this legalistic view of the law, what it does is it exposes where you're not. When you inevitably, inevitably fail, it brings shame, guilt, and fear. Shame that you're not what you could be. Guilt about your sin and fear of failure. So what's the answer? It's kind of heavy, kind of quiet. What's the answer here? What's the answer to rejecting and thinking, uh, this kind of thinking and transforming into God, who God has intended us to be? Let's go back to the text, shall we? Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll pick up where we left off here in verse 12. Therefore, therefore, let that word sink in. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. That word bold, one of the meanings it can be translated into means barefaced. Not like a rawr bear, but like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Bare-faced. Very bold. We are not like Moses, who would have put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. 
That's what happens when you read that without Jesus. Amen? It has not been removed because only in Christ is that veil taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom! Right? For the Braveheart moment. Freedom! But freedom, in what context? Freedom from legalities. Freedom from that attachment to an identity based on that. There's freedom. And when we all, and, and we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, not from our work, <laughs> not from how we look, not from how small or big we are, but from the Lord who is the Spirit. Uh, anyone ever watch Shark Week? That's a hard transition, hard left. Shark Week? There's a cinematographer, one of their camera guys named Andy Casagrand, um, and he was interviewed on the show, I'm sorry, on Entertainment Weekly, and he was interviewed about, about how he responds filming sharks underwater, and I'm going to read part of this interview, okay? All right, so he was asked this question, so a great white is swimming at you, opening and closing its mouth. What do you do? This is what he says, listen. You can't swim away immediately because then you're acting like prey, and they're like, oh, cool, that's something I'm going to eat. The best thing I found to do sounds counterintuitive, but you swim right at them. You always keep eye contact, and you swim directly at the shark, and that seems to trigger a defense mechanism. Now they're like, wait a second, everything in the ocean swims away from me aside from orcas, which are known to occasionally kill white sharks. Everyone says, punch a shark in the nose. The problem with that is the water refracts and magnifies things. So if you go to punch a shark in the nose and you think its nose is right there, it's not. It's back here. And as you follow through, your hand goes straight into its mouth. Their eyes and their gills are the most sensitive things. But the reality is, don't act like prey. You like prey. You don't want to swim away while they're watching you. As they swim away, you swim away and try to get back to the boat, open up a Red Bull, and say, oh, that was fun, <laughs> and downplay it. That's actually what it says. <laughs> Shame, guilt, fear, those things that come from, the acu from believing the accuser, yeah? It's the same. They're used to, ter they, they are used to terrorizing us, making us flee. But to face God with unveiled faces means we swim towards the shark. Authentic connection to God, just as you are. Bring your shame, bring your guilt, and your fear. Because as you swim towards, as you move towards God, guess what also is coming at you? Trials, temptations, your shame, your guilt, all of these things. What's the very first thing Jesus had to face before his ministry began in Matthew 4? temptation in the desert this is how, when you move the closer you get to god these things come at you and what do, what, what do so many of us do so often as christians we swim away we try to run away but you know what you're also running away from in the process 
You're going away from God. And what, are the, what is the shame guilt going to do? It's going to get you by the ankle. It's going to get you. There's no running away from those things. That's why dealing with our hearts matter. That's also why when someone, especially a young person, they, they make Jesus Lord, and then what happens almost right away? Life hits them hard because the closer you get to God, those things start, really start coming at you. Have, did, have you experienced that? Oh, my goodness. It's been said that the strongest act of will is to surrender to God. We need men and women in this church who trust God so much. They'll swim towards it. Swim. Surrender your will to God. Surrender to God. Stop surrendering to money, to building up suburbia, your, your suburbia, you're hoping a particular relationship. You're hoping how people view you. Stop surrendering to your view of what family is supposed to be like versus what God said it is. Your vanity before God. All of those things will fade. All of them. That's old covenant checklist. Kind of but it's not about that. It's about unveiled faces before God. So what do we do? It's not what can we do, it's what, what can we be? Where do we move from here? Where do we move from here? There's something I think that's part of this. When we, when we talk about our discipleship, when we talk about our identity, I, I want to share something, a great example here. I think a response to this often is, okay, all right, a part of my faith, a part of my discipleship is like, I got I to gotta share my faith. I got to share my faith. Sharing your faith should just happen. And I think this is an opportunity to break this down a little bit. This is not a checklist thing. And it's a time of year we're preparing to go out. We've been going out as life ministries and meeting needs. We're going out summertime. We're outside more. People are outside more. This is typically where we go out and we want to meet people and share our faith with them. But what does that mean to share your faith? What does that mean? And how many of you guys have struggled? You're like, I'm out in the community, and I feel this weird pressure, like I'm supposed to say something or do something, and I'm just not with it. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> Sharing is not just telling. If I ask, I talk about my daughter a lot. Ask Ren. She's got her Chick-fil-A kids meal. I said, hey, can you share your food with me? Would she be like, well, Father, I'll share my food with you. So this is delicious chicken, and I've been very blessed to have this chicken in my life. It's the Lord's chicken, and um, it's very delicious, and it's, it's changed my life. And I'm a new person because of this chicken, and you too could have this chicken. You just simply need to come to the restaurant and get some chicken. No, when I say, will you share your food with me, what does she do? Get a piece and give it to me. Sharing your faith is like that. Sharing your faith is not you go give a sales pitch to someone. Sharing your faith is sharing your faith, giving part of it of what God has blessed you with. And hey, here, have some. No strings attached. Have this. Thank you. Take it. It's a bread of life right there. Sharing your faith, sharing what God has given you because of his faithfulness, not yours, not mine, and sharing that with somebody else. Sharing your faith. We need to reframe that line. 
Have you shared your faith? Have you shared your faith? Just love your neighbors. Oh, man, I forgot to invite them out to church service. Dude, you are the church. You brought church to them. <laughs> love them. Share with them. Cook out with them. Be there with them in the hard times. Does that make sense? When we let go of those legalities, those things that we've come to believe to be true about the, the things that we think define us, we let go of those things and we just simply immerse ourselves in our teacher and, his, and what he has to say and how he lived. And, and, and we just soak it in to the point where it just comes out. Sharing your faith, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give maybe perhaps some controversial advice. Okay? If you are the kind of person where you stress out about like, going out and sharing my faith, that this is not for me, stop stressing about it. Draw near to God, draw near to Jesus, and it will happen. It's, I believe, from what we read in Scripture, it is impossible to get closer to God and for that to just not flow out from your life. And it may not be what someone else has done. We've done some great things in the past with door knocking and campus ministry. And a lot of you here are here because of this. And a lot of great things have happened in the world because of this. But that is not the only way. That doesn't necessarily always work in all generations of all people, okay? You become who God has made you to be and flourish in that. And trust me, God will work through it. Amen? Let's go back to the text. We believe that identity. Then what happens? We believe in that. We're going to 2 Corinthians. Now we're in chapter 4. We'll actually pick up here in verse 13, okay? It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. If you believe, you will speak. Those, those go hand in hand, believing and speaking believing and speak. The more you believe, the more you're going to speak. You know, when I was young, I waited for Santa Claus. I woke up super, super early at an ungodly hour in the morning. I was ready. I was waiting. Put my teeth under my pillow. The first thing I would do is check under my pillow. To believe is to act as if it were as, as if it were true. To believe is to act as if it were true. I believe that Marissa won't kill me in my sleep. I can sleep next to her in peace. I can turn my back, let my guard down, tell her my passwords, to my phone, to everything. She has access to all of my money. 
If you believe, you will speak. To believe is to act as if it were true. If you believe God redeems us, if you believe God loves you, you will. Encourage your brother. Serve your neighbor. Inspire your children. Let's go back to the text. Picking up in verse 16, back in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose hearts. Though out, you caught the therefore, Samantha, I heard you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we're walking away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If you are in a crisis of identity right now, let those words resonate with you. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is temporary and what is seen is eternal. Lastly, to claim our identity in Christ, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't succumb to patterns and thinking of society. We trust God. Sometimes the journey's long. It's a grind. You know what's worse than waiting? You know what's worse than waiting on the Lord? Wishing you had. Disciples of Jesus don't give up. We trust in God. Through a pandemic, we trust in God. Through the threat of political and racial divide, I would say through the, rea- through the reality of those things, we still trust in God. Through the battle against apathy and indifference to what's happening in the world, we trust in God. Through the battle against entitlement and arrogance of humanity, we trust in God. Through the battle against false teachers and demagogues, we trust in God. Through illness and pain, we trust in God. There's no greater purpose or identity other than what is found in Jesus. There's no fear of missing out. Nothing better is going to come along. You have to believe that with every fiber of your being. Part of belief is doubt. You will doubt, but you trust in God. There's a story from early on in the pandemic that I think gives us kind of a cool visual of what what happens, what is the fruit, what's the result of having this kind of identity and the impact it can have. So there was this, this man named Don Giuseppe Berardelli. Sorry, I can't speak Italian very well, but that's his name. He's 70, he was a 72-year-old Catholic priest in northern Italy. COVID swept through his town, and eventually he himself got COVID, 72 years old. He was adored. He was beloved by the townspeople that he lived in, that they pulled in money to get him a respirator. Remember, this is when there were no respirators to be found. This man of God was so loved in his community, people found a get him a respirator. When he received it, he chose to give that respirator to one of the younger men who needed it. He died from COVID. He gave to that town. He sacrificed for the people in his life until the very end. 
I didn't, I, I don't, obviously I don't know this guy. You can, you can look this up. This is, and this, this spread, the story spread. But it's a reminder for us, the fruit. Is it glory for self? No, you, you may not even, and let's just get this in our head. You probably won't even be around to see the glory that comes from really embracing your identity in Christ. Are you willing to accept that? Do you need something tangible in front of you? Like, okay, I need a little reward, a little dopamine hit. I did something good for God. Now, where's mine? What if you died before that happened? What if you died before you saw the fruit of living a faithful life to God, of, of really embracing your identity? Your sacrifice has meaning. That's hope. It's worth it. We, we can't give up. We can't lose heart. We're going to have our time of communion together. And I want us to think about the truth, that truth of who we are. It has to be discovered in the journey of identity. The truth to be discovered in the journey of identity is that we've been deceived to think, we've been deceived to think the identity we've already received isn't true. We've been deceived to think the identity we already received from God isn't true. But it is true. And when we finally come to believe in that, in our true selves, the glory self, as God intends, then and only then will we be able to bear fruit that truly lasts. Jesus continually reminds us all the time of who we are and why that matters and what it means. Come with me one more time. One more passage? Yeah. One more? Okay. I'm like, yeah, one more? John. Gospel of John, chapter 15. John 15. I'm going to start in verse 5, then I'm going to move to verse 9. Just listen. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's you are, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name the father will give you this is my command love each other love each other 
who we truly are is perfectly twined with the divine. Who we are, our identity is perfectly intertwined with God. And the nature of it is living, it's flourishing. Our identity is only found in the divine. Apart from that, we can do nothing, we can be nothing. That is who we are as humans. What is the fruit? What is the result of all this? Love for one another. Laying down life for one another. This is our believed identity. Let's pray. Father, you are the vine. Father, you are the perfect father. You are the giver of life. You are the provider. You are our shield and portion. And all that we are comes from you. All that we have comes from you. And Father, as we encounter, as we live amongst people, amongst a world, and even amongst ourselves as we struggle with identity peace, God, please always remind us, always help us to turn to Scripture, help us to turn to one another and remember who you say we are. Thank you so much for Jesus. This was his heart for us. So to tell us who we are, help us to believe in him and help us to overcome belief. Father, help us to walk the path and follow in the way of Jesus as he laid his life down for others. God, help us to do the same. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.